What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of, God, of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Again, uh, it's just been a real joy to be in a place where I get to share the word with you most Sundays. Uh, and it's been so rich for me. So I leave Christ the King very enriched because you allowed me, gave me the privilege and the honor of bringing God's word to you. And like any time you're teaching or preaching, it's just forced me to study and work a lot harder than I would have uh, if I was just doing it for myself. So I leave here deeply enriched in my experience with Jesus, and I can say he's sweeter and more powerful and wonderful than I had ever known, and being here has helped me know that, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. Well, this morning we're finishing up our study in uh, Romans, and uh, Romans 8, so I want to just uh, share one thing with you um, that'll help you just again realize how real Romans 8 is, so let me get there real quick. So, uh, hang on, here we go. So one of my joys of being a pastor is not only being with people to do baptisms, installation ordinations, reaffirmations like we did with the deacons, I've gotten to do a lot of weddings. And so as a pastor, I've been a pastor 40 plus years uh, in churches where I was pastoring, uh, young girls would say to me, hey, Clyde, when I get married, uh, I want you to do my wedding. And I've gotten to do some of those, which has been so much fun to do weddings with girls when they were 8, 9, 10, or 11 would say, when I get married, I want you to be the guy. So that's been a lot of fun. Now I'm older, <laughs> and a lot of people will say to me, Clyde, when I die, I want you to do my funeral. <laughs> so it's shifted totally, you know, and one of the things that I do whenever I do a funeral um, is that the first thing I say when people are gathered, like if I was gathered with the Drakes this morning uh, in the room to say goodbye to Jan, I would say there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, not even death. It can't separate us from the love of Christ. And I say that because it's such a comfort to me, but it's the comfort of God's Word. So... Anyways, I was prepping this week. <clears throat> I got this text from a good friend of ours in mine saying, uh, I've known her for a long time. 
And uh, so here's the text she sent to me, uh, J-I-C, uh, just in case, and she goes, I made that up. Uh, I might have surgery uh, with a 5 to 8% mortality rate this week. If for some reason I'm headed to Jesus, here are your instructions for my service. Don't blab on and on. <laughs> 20 minutes max, unless you think it's killer good. <laughs> you gotta love that. Wear bright, happy colors, lots of peppy, Hillsong, United Bethel's music, no traditional hymns, but in Christ alone, yes. And then she says a couple other things. Work it in somehow that my hair never turned gray. Uh, favorite verse, John 10, 10, chocolate must have chocolate, maybe a dark chocolate, no milk chocolate on every seat. PowerPoint of our adventures, nice. That's it for now. So uh, don't go on and on. <laughs> don't blab on more than 20 minutes. But that's part of the thrill of being a pastor or a shepherd is connecting with people and being with them at birth as they grow up and at weddings and at their funerals. When we get here to Romans 8, Paul's going to say, what shall we say to these things? Now, you got to love here in Romans 8, 31 through 39. He is saying, basically, what do, how do we respond to all this? Because he has laid out some very difficult things. And one of the things you got to love about the Bible, it never shies away from hard questions or hard things. But Paul's going to say, what shall we say to these things? If we were in the Ukraine today, caring for uh, Ukrainian believers, this would be a great passage to be. What shall we say to the evil that's being perpetrated against your country? What shall we say to these things? If we were the Drakes today, we could read this passage and ask her, how do you deal with this? What do you say to all this? And, and one of the great peaks, cathedrals of the Bible, Romans 8 right here, unpacks for us. Paul says, what do we say? And he asks four questions. Now, you got to love he, what he does here is he asks a question, and then he asks really hard questions in light of, what do we say? How do we respond? And uh, he, answers, he answers himself with hard questions. So the first question that he asks is, basically, is God for us? Is God for us when things are so difficult and hard? How do we know that God is for us when we're suffering, when life is incredibly difficult, when we get the diagnosis, we're not going to make it, or the diagnosis, you're always going to live with this? How do we respond to that? How do we respond when we are mistreated, betrayed, taken advantage of, stolen from? Well, the great thing about the Bible is God never allows things to happen to us that Jesus didn't go through for us. And so I want to go through these four questions and say, how would Jesus answer them? How are they answered in his life? Because we want to see the gospel. Because the gospel is the answer to everything we've ever been through. What Jesus went through is, in a sense, an answer to our deepest distress. So, in the Bible Project, some of you know that when they do their sort of sort of walkthrough on what is Romans about, they have this great line. It says, Jesus became what we are so that we could become who he is. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus, when he came, he knew that God was for him. 
he ex- he knew that in a way that when I shared about my dad's love for me, Jesus knew how much his heavenly father loved him. He knew it objectively. He knew it was the truth. But because he was human, he was tempted to doubt it. He was tempted to you know, question it. He was tempted to go, what, you know, where are you, God, in all this? And we see his honesty, particularly in the Garden of Gethsemane. But if you look at the life of Jesus, 30 years, he kind of is, we don't know much on. When his public ministry starts, in the Bible, we have 52 days of Jesus' life recorded. 16 of those, Jesus disappears. (laughs) Where did he go? Where is Jesus? Why is he here? The crowds want to see you, Jesus. Where are you? Now you do the math, you figure it out. Jesus was going away to be by himself, to be in the, with the Father, to learn and experience as a man the truth of what God says about him, what God had revealed to him, the relationship that they had. He needed to feel it. He needed to experience it. And brothers and sisters, we desperately have to build into our lives rhythms where we can be quiet, we can listen, we can be in retreats, we can be in fellowship with one another, where we talk and help each other move from our head to our hearts and experience it. Jesus knew that God was for him, but he was tempted to doubt that. Now, remember when the enemy tempts him, he says to Jesus, we'll come back to this, are you really the son of God? Uh, so uh, he knew that God was for him. And how was God going to provide for him? How did God provide for him? Well, again, one of the reasons that we believe you can't separate faith from uh, Jesus from the Scripture is if anybody loved the Bible, it was Jesus. I remember uh, as a young college student uh, traveling through Europe, I was in Vienna, this great art museum in Vienna, and I rounded the corner and there was this big painting of Jesus as a little boy. He's looking at the Bible, the light, he's being lit up around him, but all these uh, teachers, rabbis are all standing around him and he is intensely studying the Bible. Remember when Jesus was tempted, What did he do? He answered with scripture. Uh, He knew that God had provided for him the word of God, which is the greatest gift apart from the physical experience of his presence in our life through the spirit, through the sacrament. The word of God is alive and active and has so much power. And, And yet how quickly we doubt it, we diminish it, we lose it. But for Jesus, he knew the scripture. If we go to his death on the cross, he's quoting scripture left right. He's in Psalm 31. He's in Psalm 22. He knows that his life was all bound up in the fulfillment of everything that's in this book. And one of the great things that we celebrate as the particular group of people we're with around the country and the world is we believe the Bible is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. But the reason that we know that we're going to get what we need is this book promises us. We will. God promises to show up and help us. Now, the next question is, Paul's going to say, who condemns us? Who condemns us? Sometimes when we lose perspective, we lose our confidence, we're our hardest, toughest critic. Can I get a witness? (laughs) 
that the person who's the hardest on you is not other people, it's you. <laughs> You're condemning yourself. And many times when I'm working with women who've gone through this amazing experience of God's grace, I'll talk to them about the experience of Cinderella. You know, she's living in misery, working, uh, and she shouldn't be, but the stepmother is so mean to her and cruel to her. And the other sister or her relatives or whoever they are, they are... Uh, they're getting all the fun time, and Cinderella has to do all this work. She has to slave, and she's living this miserable existence until her prince comes and all that. But what happens if Cinderella gets bonked in the head and has amnesia, and she said, hey, <laughs> uh, you need to go back and, and serve in the kitchen. You're no better than a servant of servants. You need to slave away and serve your cousins or your relatives or whatever. Um, there's a book about the church called Cinderella with Amnesia. It's about the church. That God says all these great things about his love for us and how he wants to provide for us, but we forget. It's kind of like the world comes at us so hard and fast that we forget. And then so when someone condemns us or calls us out or says, where is your God or you call yourself a Christian and you did that, or you let this happen, or you've acted this way, and it just piles up on us. And so it's so wonderful sometimes to sit with women who feel like I've become that ugly stepmother to myself. And that's not who I am, and that's not the voice that I listen to. Whose voice are you listening to when you feel condemned? For Jesus, he heard the voice of his heavenly Father saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you hear this today, sisters, that because of Jesus, you are his beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. You can't add to it. You can't diminish it. You can miss it, though. <laughs> you can forget it. You can walk away from it. There's nothing your heavenly Father has not done for you through Jesus Christ that can cause you to realize not only does he love me this much, he sings over me. He rejoices over me. Um, our youngest daughter, Claire, who uh, uh, is just, you know, I love her so much. She's so amazing. She calls me out like very few people. Like she knows me and she'll call me out. So uh, one time we were driving in the car. She's going through a hard time. And I'm trying to listen and do the dad thing, and I'm kind of be kind. And then finally, she gets real frustrated. And she goes, Dad, you're not delighting in me, are you? <laughs> Some of the dads laugh, right? <laughs> they know this experience. But she was spot on. I was listening, but I wasn't listening. I was present, but I was not present. See, Jesus knew that the Father delighted in him. And that's what took him all the way to the cross. He knew that delight. He knew that he was not going to be condemned uh, for who he was, but he was going to be condemned for us. And that's a big difference. He knew that he would do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then the last question is, he knew that there was nothing that could separate himself from the love of the Father. He knew Psalm 22, if you read it all the way to the end. He knew Psalm 16 that uh, Peter preaches from at Pentecost Sunday. 
that he wouldn't be allowed to be corrupted in the grave. He knew his father would raise him up. He knew that. How did he know it? Well, he was the inspiration of it, but as a man, he soaked himself in the scriptures. He put himself under the word so that he might live out the word so that you and I would get excited about getting to study God's word together, to hear it preached, to hear it taught, so that we would become like him. Now, you know, I've shared this with other people. If you said to me, uh, if you could be in the life of Jesus for any period of time, where would you like to be there, be in there in his life? And for me, it's post-resurrection because he walked the earth for 40 days as the resurrected Christ. And what was he doing? It was Bible study. <laughs> he was the teaching the apostles and he was coaching them, teaching them that all of the scripture pointed to him. So if you're... Think about how the enemy works against you. He wants to divorce your faith, your relationship with Jesus from the Word. He wants to take this away from you. Because if he can, he knows he's going to cripple you. And you're going to miss the great truths that he has for you, even today. And you're like Cinderella with amnesia. You have been given these great experiences, insights, and wonderful things, and yet... You've lost it because we have a real adversary. But nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so as we think through for the Apostle Paul, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it has power. So let's just think about this line that the Bible Project says, he became like us so that we could become like him. How do we know what that means? What is that even about? Well, here's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, Jesus became sin for us so that we might become righteous in the presence and sight of God. Think about Jesus' love for you that not only would he enter into the brokenness of our lives, but he would become sin for us, take our sin on him. Not that he would be a sinner, but he would be the one who was condemned. So when you're feeling condemned, here's what you can think about. Jesus, I'm so thankful you were condemned for me that what I can hear now is not rejection, not self-loathing, not contempt, but I can feel your great compassion for me. I can feel it. I can experience compassion for my failures, for my mix-ups, for my mess-ups. You are here with me to guide me through the fact that you became for me sin, that I might know that I've been made perfectly accepted through your perfect obedience and your perfect sacrifice. So if you're here today and you're going, I'm searching, I want to know, here's what becoming a Christian looks like. It looks like this. Jesus says to you, I want to take all that's wrong with you, all your unrighteousness on me, which he did at the cross. I want to take all of that but you have to give it to me. And again, if you're searching for God one another, you mean I have to admit I'm in that much trouble? You, you mean I have to admit that I'm that messed up? Now, most of you already go, hey, I'm ready for the next point. <laughs> you know, get, get, get to the next point. Uh, so, but this is the struggle. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have this issue that we need someone to take what's broken and wrong with us 
for us in a way that we can know, here's the incredible good news, is that as we give it to Jesus, Jesus says, I take it, and now I'm going to give you my life, and we're going to sing together, and you're going to know that you are perfectly loved and forgiven forever and ever and ever and ever. That the love song, the love story, the never-ending love story that God has for us is that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. To what end? So that you and I might know together and share together this great truth that Jesus is interceding for us, even as we're sitting here this morning, so that we would know this great love that God has for us. Because if you have that, you realize it defeats everything that's wrong in the world. It overcomes everything wrong in the world. And it takes you from being somebody who feels like a loser to more than a conqueror. What incredible language. Paul says, you know what? If you get a hold of what Jesus has done for us, your ordinary life will become heroic. It will become extraordinary. It will become unusual because... This is what Jesus does. He sets the most ordinary people free to enter into the fullness and the joy of the blessing he has for us. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Again, if we were in the Ukraine, this would be real. This would really be real. This is what I would want to share and pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what I would want them to know. Here's what I would preach to them on this day and the next Sunday and the Sunday after that as long as they can gather as a church is that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ because if God is for you, who can be against you? And all things work together for the good. Even the invasion of the Ukraine, God is going to redeem for good. Do you believe that? I mean, God is going to take the very evil that the enemy is bringing against Ukraine and he's going to redeem it. He's going to bring beauty out of ashes. He's going to crown people who have no hope with an everlasting experience of his love. He will bring gladness to those who are mourning deeply. But in the meantime, we need to pray and encourage people to wait for what they cannot see, to walk by faith and not by sight, that these things are true. And this is what God has for us as a church, as a community here in Cambridge and wherever we are, is that God has come to rescue us so that our song, our story would be his steadfast love endures forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel, the beauty of it, the wonder of it, the power of it. Now we get to come to the table and taste and see together how good you really are for people like us. So Jesus, help us as we come. Amen. Let's stand together.